Thank you. Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. We're here live at World's Fair Nano in Brooklyn, New York. I'm your host, David Grinspoon, AKA Dr. Funky Spoon on Twitter. I'm an astrobiologist, I'm a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute, and tonight we're going to be talking about something that has the potential to change this planet for the better, we hope. We're going to be talking about the powers, the perils, and the future of biotechnology. And joining me as co-host is a New, Year, a New York comedian a, uh, who is just on America's Got Talent, and he's not uh, just a funny guy, he's a Harvard graduate. Please join me in welcoming Harrison Greenbaum. Boy, thank you. Let's have a seat. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you, Dr. Funky Spoon. You yeah. can say I'm crazy as fork. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Glad and, to be the least qualified person on the panel. Well, uh, we'll see about that, too. The, uh, <laughs> by the way, Harrison uh, on Twitter is at Harrison Comedy. And we have two special guests that are going to help us delve into this vast topic. First up, we've got Alan Sakyan. Alan is a science communicator and the host of the Eureka Science Comedy Show. Alan. Woo! Welcome. <laughs> By the way, Alan also uh, was a major organizer for this whole World's Fair Nano event. So if you're having a good time, thank Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm having a good time. He's We're really glad that to be here. you could His be part of this. His eye is open. Yeah, look how excited he is. <gasps> it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, zip. That is not a joke. <laughs> You're flying low there, buddy. <laughs> Fortunately, part of this is, is just audio and not vid visual. But, uh, oh, except there's a giant yeah. 360 cam that caught all of that. And finally... Maybe you'll catch some more. We have another uh, very interesting expert guest here, R.J. Kirk, who's the CEO of the company Inextron, and we're going to learn about that. Woo! Yeah, R.J. Thanks. Hey, R.J. Hey, Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. So, and by the way, his Twitter handle, his company is at Inextron, just like it sounds. In oh, I'm sorry, Intrex Intrexon. I'm saying it wrong. Thanks. At Intrexon. And if you're uh, into biology, you'll notice it's a combination of Intron and Exxon, which is something we may Wait, you come can't, to understand. Wait, you can't just say that. What does that mean? Well, um, we're going to find out. In fact, <laughs> uh, RJ, tell us about Intrexon. What do you research? Why should these good people care about what you do? And by the way, could you uh, explain the name? Yeah, sure. Uh, as mentioned, uh, in Intron and Exxon, the Introns and Exxons are uh, excision points. They're, let me see. An Exxon is a part that comes out of DNA when the RNA transcript is being made. Uh, and an intron is the mysterious things that occur in between the genic material. So Classic scientist response. Well, no, there is a, there's, since this is a comedy uh, program, in part, science yeah, comedy. Yeah, science comedy. 
I will say, so the Exxon, the discovery, you probably know this, David, the discovery of the Exxon in eukaryotic um, cells was by Sir Richard Roberts, and he won the Nobel Prize for that in something like 2006. <clears throat> A couple of years ago, I was introduced to Sir Richard, and at the end of our conversation, I mentioned, well, you know, Sir Richard, it may interest you to know that our company is, you know, to some extent, uh, named in honor of your work, to which he immediately replied, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so tell us about your company. What do you guys, what do you guys work on and, 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 and what, what are we doing here? <laughs> We're a leading synthetic biology company. Um, we, we prefer the term engineered biology. Uh, and we'll, I'm sure, I think we can discuss that later maybe, but... Um, so we're active in health, food, energy, consumer, and environment. Uh, it's a broad swath, you know, industrially and culturally, uh, but let me mention, as I mentioned here yesterday, that, look, every, every organism on this planet is running on the same software code, same software language, right? Every species runs exactly on the same program, or more or less exactly. Um, and is that DNA? That is DNA. A's, T's, C's, and G's. A's, C's, T's, and G's, yes. So it's written in a... And you're not talking about Microsoft Windows here. You're <laughs> well, you know, no, I, could, I, I could easily, well, I'll suggest and assert that, no, it's, it's the first software on the planet. No question. Uh, there's no question that DNA is memory uh, and that the code is software and that we are you know, under many definitions, many working definitions, we are robots. We are, you know, yeah. run with a, on a software program with a vast amount of uh, computational capability to some functions over some period of time. We're capable of some reprogramming and sometimes not so much. Yeah. Um, so by that analogy, then what you guys are doing with your com company is what to that code? Yes, yes. So we're heavily involved in the genetic code, uh, both editing it, uh, writing it uh, from scratch uh, in order to engineer organisms to perform uh, important purposes in order to make the world uh, a better a better planet, uh, a healthier planet, uh, in order to solve very, very big problems that we face. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, awesome. so I think a little bit later we're going to get into um, some of the challenges and concerns and fears that people maybe have associated with that technology, but let's talk first about the promise. Like, why, why are we excited about this? What, 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 what do you see some of the most promising applications of this? Yeah, so I think the first thing to bear in mind is that this is not really new, okay? Uh, you all learned in school, I did, I say, so I, we all learned in, you know, probably elementary school, that all of modern civilization in the Western canon uh, devolves from the Fertile Crescent, right? Uh, and the reason it was able to do that is because the people there learned how to breed cereal grains, uh, thus enabling, and by the way, this happened in two other places in the planet at around the same time, Mesoamerica and also China. So what we call maize, what we call corn in Mesoamerica and rice in China. Uh, so around 10,000 years BCE, so 12,000 years ago, this happened more or less the same, you know, around the same time. Uh, in three different places. Well, so what did that really mean? Well, the consequences we all know. The consequences were that man was able to emerge from being a hunter-gatherer, a nomadic species, who really just lived a subsistence existence. Um, and he was able to suddenly acquire enough liberty to invent art and science and philosophy and build cities and 
religions and what have you. Uh, so if you really think about it in this way, it should be borne in mind that biotechnology is the foundational technology of our entire civilization, and it's not new. We've been doing it systematically for 12,000 years. So, so we've been altering life course, forms. Of course we have. Purposefully, uh, since we started agriculture, really. I was here yesterday, and the way I just summarized it as follows. Look, the first thing, the first thing you ought to know is that GMO is not a thing. It's just not a thing. Global warming, that's a real thing. Okay? GMO's not a thing. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually thought about biotechnology from the perspective of 10,000 years ago when humans were initially starting to really tap into how to evolve alongside this changing our whole architecture of civilization. Well, I thought of biotechnology as something, you know, we just started doing this like 10 years ago, 30 years ago. I never thought about it. So obviously we've been changing genomes, as you say, as long as we've had something that we might call civilization, and yet clearly there's something new that you guys are doing. They're very definitely. <laughs> so, no, no there, there is a new thing, but what, I want to contrast it to the old thing. So I just want you to know what the rules of engagement for this biotechnology have been for the last 12,000 years. For the last 12,000 years, anything we could get to have molecular sex with anything else Okay, was fair game. It molecular was natural, sex, right? Yeah. Well, so that's pretty hot when you well, put it we that way. Well, we were breeding, molecular right? Molecular sex. I want to use that on my Tinder profile. Yeah. All right. The biologists call it homologous recombination, but oh, that's gonna be my hands We know what that's sex. <laughs> that's not as sex. hot. <laughs> it's sex. Um, so every time we did that, I mean, we were doing it for a purpose. We wanted the corn to go from looking this big, right? The corn pot itself, which is a plant called teosinte, right? To being this big giant ear of corn that we all know and love today as corn, right? That's not natural, man did that. Uh, cows, pigs, chickens, horses, strawberries, tomatoes, wheat, almost everything that we think of as being natural is actually the product of man's genetic engineering over the last 12,000 years. But you're right, Dr. Funky Spoon, there's definitely a new twist on what we're doing today. That's my previous Tinder handle. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's got to be, because otherwise, like, your company wouldn't have any patents. People would be like, oh, 10,000 years ago, we were already doing this. <laughs> yeah. So what we were doing, I just want to point out, every time that breeders did one of those crosses, maybe they got a, a larger corn plant. Maybe they got a larger aeroc, which turns into our modern-day cow, by the way. That's how we got them. Uh, so, so but, it went from that we, tiny little bit of corn to the large corn 10,000 years ago, or was that only like... Over the course of the last 12,000 years. It's taken a long time. So, so but here's how, my point. Okay, really every every time we China. did this cross, we created sure. a million or sometimes millions of other, other recombinant events, other transgenic events that were never documented. We had no idea what we were doing because, yeah. well, I mean, it was just trial and error, uh, and, and we kept the winners and got rid of the losers, right? Uh, got rid of the ones we didn't like, and we kept the ones we did like. But my point is, to be concerned about GMO is actually to be concerned about having increased knowledge over more ignorance, right? Because we've been doing this for 12,000 years from a position of almost total ignorance. If you ask me, for example, could the, cereal, could the breeding of cereal grains over the last 12,000 years have resulted in the gluten intolerance that a lot of people have today? The answer is, we don't know. It's entirely possible, okay? Because we've been, we've been 
we've been evolving and mutating this organism for 12,000 years. Now, back to your question. Today, we have the technology to make very precise, tiny, testable changes. And I think this is a huge advantage because now we can really understand the program, the, the, gene, the genome itself, to a great extent. We're learning more every day about gaining increasing understanding of this. And when we do find an understanding, we're able to actually write new portions of that code or delete old portions of the code that we no longer like. So when you go to like a Chipotle and it's like we have no GMO, okay. that's basically a useless thing, right? They're basically like dating a girl being like, I've never been vaccinated, I'm so much healthier. Yeah, I, li my, I, li I like the line, it's not a thing, right? right? I mean, if, you, if you're concerned about GMO, a woman one time said to me, I'll never have anything to do with a genetically modified animal. And I said, Madam, the reason that your poodle hasn't eaten your children is because it's genetically modified. <laughs> if it were still an Asiatic wolf, your kids would be toast. Well, and right. human beings Although, are gene genetically modified, too. Is, We've is modified an, ourselves. Is so. that an advantage, though, that the poodles don't eat the baby? I feel like some people with poodles <laughs> deserve to go. Yeah. Like the people who are like, that dog is my baby. It's not a baby. Like when a baby dies, you can't bury it in the backyard and not tell anybody. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so uh, RJ, what's, what's, what's a, give, us, give us like a favorite example of yours. Like, so all of this can lead to, uh, what's, what's your favorite example of something that you guys are doing? We have, we have so many. <clears throat> you, you can test in the, on the exhibit floor uh, one of our products, which is the Arctic Apple. So there's a thing that happens in fruit. I'm well, sure can you can guess what it is. Yeah. Does it give you like cool breath? No. Does it? <laughs> does it look like an iceberg? No. Is it blue? No. I'm trying to think of what what, what makes it special. You're striking it's out, man. Just that cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a good guesses. <laughs> to be Arctic. All right. So how is this different from uh, a, a regular apple? The apples that precede it. Well, so let's think about apple bruising, in fact, fruit bruising, right? We talk about if we drop a, a fruit, right, on the floor, or even a banana, right, it will rapidly form a brown spot, and we refer to these as bruises. Well, obviously, it's not a bruise because there's no blood in there. It can't be a hematoma. So what is really going on? Well, what's really going on is that nature has broadly conserved this little program out on the edge of the genomes of these plants, right, which releases an enzyme that breaks down the cell wall. So in response to, we say, you know, shear force, so, you know, percussion, cutting, biting, right? In response to that kind of force, all of these fruits begin to break down their cell walls in order to find, in order to decompose the thing as rapidly as possible. Well, you can understand that that is very much in nature's interest. Nature seeks the most rapid path of, for the germination of the seeds that are in that apple or any other fruit, right? But that's not in our interest because here's a little fact you may not know. 50% of the apples that are grown on this planet are thrown away. They're wasted. Five zero? Five zero. That's a lot, right? Principally because of brown. <laughs> it's an F. Okay? Wow. And that's a lot of bad apples. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've ever tried the pre-sliced apples at McDonald's, right? But they're disgusting. And nothing against McDonald's. I, I laud the fact that they actually sell these, you know, in comparison with the French fries, which I also love, I confess, but, but it's nice <laughs> to give people the choice. Uh, but, but they're just not any good. So what we've done 
is install a little piece of genetic code that, that suppresses this particular enzyme. Which, and this enzyme has no role at all in the metabolism of the apple. So what we end up with is a non-browning apple, and which means you can slice it, you can leave it on your table for 12 hours, 15 hours, 60, and you do not detect any browning. And if you were to go by and take a slice of it many hours after you left it there, you would find that it tastes exactly like an apple that you had just picked from a tree. So do I understand then this is not just about aesthetics, it looks better, it tastes better, this is about saving food yeah. and much less waste and feeding more people. And giving consumers a healthy, wholesome uh, opportunity. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to learn more about this. We're going to have yeah. to uh, take a short break now, but we'll be back with more StarTalk All-Stars right after this. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome back to Star Talk yeah. All Stars. Yeah. We're live at World's Fair Nano in Brooklyn. I'm David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon, your All Star host. My co host is comedian Harrison Greenbaum. Hello, everybody. Woo! And joining Woo! us tonight, we have two special guests science communicator Alan Sakyan and Intrexon CEO RJ Kirk. Woo! And RJ's been telling us uh, about the potential of this great technology. Um, I want to uh, get into a little bit of, uh, of, some of some of the concerns and uh, negative potential, maybe. But before we do that, uh, you just you've given us one great example, which is the the apples. Give us one more. What about meat? This uh, synthetic or clean meat? Is that tell, tell us what's that all about? Yeah, so several companies are pursuing means, with, oh, let me back up a little bit and just say, look, uh, meat consists of certain cells. <laughs> uh, and so the idea became popular about um, seven or eight years ago <clears throat> that uh, you don't necessarily, and this happens a lot in engineered biology, by the way, do you need the fur, right? Do you need the attitude, right? Do you need the horns? Do you need the hooves? Right, all that stuff. Do when all we want is the New York Strip, hormones, state, right, or the hamburger, right? There's some sassy yeah. cow somewhere who's like, yeah. "Yes, we do." So, yeah. so we've known ever since we began fermenting things, you know, making cheese and beer and wine and so forth. We've known that you could just take the cells that are of interest, okay, and just grow them in a vat to get their get their metabolites or to enjoy the cells themselves because they will divide if you feed them. Right? We've been growing cheese and wine in vats yeah. for like thousands of years. Correct. And that's also a biotechnology, by the way. Right. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Bio <laughs> biotechnology is not new. It's just better. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> better than ever. So that's, that's really cool. I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty sold, and I know you've got more great examples. But that, So you're doing awesome stuff with this. There's potential to feed more people, potential to eat more ethically. Like, personally, I love meat, but I'm not that comfortable with factory farming, so that's really cool. But you don't now, like to shoot cows and then go and, like, take the guts out of them and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. It's nasty. There's nasty I was vegan for a while, which is when you give a meat and dairy and friendship. <laughs> but, okay, so, so you're doing all this cool stuff, but let's, let's talk about some of the Energy. concerns. Now, yeah. now you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vegetarian with benefits yeah. now. I, yeah. Benefits are meat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> You've, 
you know, you, you told us GMOs are not a thing. Okay, so we're not going to go there. Uh, you know, we don't have to worry that just because something is a, quote, genetically modified organism that it's going to be bad for you. But let's talk about some of the deeper, more subtle, more legitimate, nuanced concerns. I mean, this sure. technology is not without um, its uh, dangers if it's handled in the wrong way. So, for instance, um, one thing people are concerned about is... Uh, some of the great health benefits that are potentially there, they might be expensive. How are we going to ensure that they're equally shared and that we don't divide into a society that has this tremendous ability to heal themselves if you're rich and everyone else? Yeah, uh, or even design babies that are, you know, yeah. how we split into multiple races. How do we yeah. handle this power as a society? Yeah, AKA rich people editing their genomes yeah. and being more intelligent or sure. having stronger metabolisms. You know what, think, this conversation- hate us enough without America going to a third world country and be like, oh my God, your apple's bruised. That's so 2017. <laughs> yeah, you're just too you quick. You just cut it and it stays good forever. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. poor people. <laughs> two two quick apples. points, two quick points. One is all technology can be used. You know, Senator Kane was up here just before us, and he's, uh, I think, one of the most intelligent uh, men in the in the Senate. So he made the yeah. point that all technology, right? And he was even even counted lawyers as technology, which, as a reformed lawyer myself, I'm not <laughs> sure that's true. But anyway, uh, you know, it can be used for good or evil, and that's simply the case for all great things. And certainly, every every good tech fire. Right, fire is you know can be used for good or evil, and that's a technology, believe it or not. Um, yeah. So, so there's always that potential. Uh, the second thing is in terms of its inequality of application. One of the reasons I really fell in love with this thing. I think I have the coolest job in the world. Literally, think about it. You know, I I lead an organization of about a thousand people. Six hundred fifty of them are among the brightest scientists in the world. And I have one single job, which is to see their visions and creations become real in the world and make the world a better place. And I, I literally pinch myself every day. I can't imagine a, a better task I could have. So my point is... <laughs> well, well, I can't think of too, so we can yeah, yeah. agree to disagree. So, so my point is, this is a wonderfully democratizing technology. I'll give you an example. So we have a lab in Ghent, Belgium. This lab totally focuses on the engineering of one particular bacterium, which is called uh, Lactococcus lactis, right? So it's what, the, it's what the scientists and regulators refer to as grass, which means generally regarded as safe. You can go to GNC and buy a pound of L. lactis and eat it, right? It's literally called food-grade L. lactis. So this is a bacterium that is highly tolerated in man. And but normal both, people don't do that. No, normal people should not do that. And actually, I'm not recommending it. But don't try this at home. And I have no idea what it would taste like. I, it would taste sour, so I don't. I definitely wouldn't. What does this have to do with? Gen <coughs> this is what has to do with. That's what has to do with. Bacteria. Oh no. Bacteria work really, really cheap, right? Okay. And the doubling time of this particular bacterium is 52 minutes. So let me give you an example. So let's say we've made some really expensive therapeutic, right? So what we do with this bacterium is engineer it to express important therapeutics. That's one of the things we do with it. Uh, you know, medicines for humans, right? So if you start off with one of these, it doubles every 52 minutes. So let's just round it up to one hour, right? So we'll just, doctor, you know, you know, two to the 20th, right? So that takes us over a million, right? The amount of therapeutic 20, doubles every yes, hour. Every okay. 52 minutes, okay. yeah, yeah. Which means if you start off with one of these, this much of it, right? 20 hours later, you have a million of these. Wow. And all yeah, you had to do was feed it a little sugar. Exponential, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
What is it so, like you go so from step it's one, wonderfully, you know, like linearly to 30, and you yeah. get to 30, and if you go linearly or exponentially no, to 30, to you the, go to, to a the billion 20, or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're saying that because you can grow therapeutics in like bioreactors and they can exponentially grow, that it'll easily be ubiquitous really quickly. Yes. Okay, so, so, so I'll, I'll buy that. It's democratizing <laughs> because you, 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 if you perfect this, you can make much cheaper, much larger quantities. With the same um, with the same starting material. Right. So, but that power, that exponentially increasing power, leads me to another question: What about some of the environmental concerns of self-replicating stuff getting out of the laboratory? Yeah. History is replete with unintended consequences. Um, and I think of like the Africanized bees getting yeah. out in South America, or the you know the cane toads in South uh, in Australia. Things get out and do things that we're not expecting. So. Uh, how do you respond to the um, legitimate fear that there's some remote chance that something dangerous gets out of the lab and, and gets into the, uh, the biosphere? Yeah. So we, these industries that we're operational in, for example, medicine, you know, therapeutics, these are among the most heavily regulated industries on the planet. We are actually in favor of regulation. I'm not here pitching an anti-regulatory agenda of any kind. I'm just pitching, let's not be phobic irrationally, okay? I know that we are naturally phobic, I'm phobic. In fact, man is naturally technophobic. I've got a talk on YouTube that addresses this point. So we're, we're all technophobic whether we you know, would want to admit it or not, right? But the truth is, we actually already regulate these end products, and so what I'm saying is, they should continue to be regulated, and the only thing we advocate is a good science based regulation, regulatory scheme. So, it, it, you know, if you want to evaluate, if somebody wants to propose the kind of, the hypothetical that you just mentioned, uh, David, I don't think they should be allowed to do that. They're not allowed to do it today. So in the United States and in Europe and most uh, developed uh, economies, you are not allowed to genetically modify a microbe that is still replicating and release it into the environment. No regulator would approve that. So, so quick, right. I have a quick uh, audience poll. Okay, by round of applause, how many of you would get an intelligence edit to your genome? Okay. And by round of applause, how many of you would not get an intelligence edit to your genome? <laughs> All right. All right, so we've got, we got the some guy in the there, anonymous t-shirt distrust authority. What are the odds of that? <laughs> He's the, plan. The, guy, the guy in the anonymous t-shirt does okay. not want his genome um, edited. I, I promise I'm not just going to keep pestering you with skepticism here, but I got one more. Um, uh, no, science, let me get science before you do. This. Let me tell you, I I am skeptical. Yeah, so here's the definitely. first thing yeah. you need to understand. We're not. We're not depending on society to be responsible for us. We think first first line of defense is our job is to be responsible. So at Intrexon, we're not we're not contemplating any kind of gene drive release. I hear Bill Gates and others talk about this kind of thing. I think it's irresponsible to even to, you know you can talk about it. I think it's irresponsible to do it. Yeah. Okay. So everything that we do at Intrexon constitutes the lightest touch approach that we can imagine. So there's more. There's heavier things. You mentioned gene drive. Uh, could you say very briefly what that is? Yeah. So the it's, the, it's the idea. Yeah, it's the idea yeah. that you could use CRISPR or some other gene editing technology. Okay, and actually wed it to a vector. That should be the name of your apple. It's CRISPR. 
Ah. I feel like you switched that. <laughs> they should have yeah, switched no them. Taken it. It's a crisper apple. Yeah. So it's the idea that you could create a bit of code, right, that would just basically tear through the biosphere on an unlimited basis. So, you know, the kinds of objects they have in mind, instead of, instead of just targeting um, the IDC Gypti mosquito as our technology does, we do it by releasing a genetically engineered male mosquito, which does not bite. The male mosquitoes don't bite. And it carries a lethal gene, which means it's going to die. And then it has guaranteed. sex with all the and female ones that with the females have and then the malaria. Yeah. Uh, and the, okay. not malaria, but anyway, this is the IDs. Wait, right. it's like... Uh, dengue, Zika, chicken, dengue, Zika, yellow fever. Zika, yeah. yellow yeah. fever. Right. Okay. And, and so, then wait, how does that work? The male has... It, it conveys it's, these lethal genes to the offspring, oh, and the so they die. Genes. The females they die. die. So we're killing female mosquitoes? No, we're killing all of their offspring. The, female, <laughs> the females will die of their just, own accord. Just kill all the mosquitoes. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the point. So that's, and that's what Bill Gates says. It's like, why do you need mosquitoes? Right? Let's just create a gene drive and wipe them all out. Okay, and so okay. the gene drive, how does it wipe them all out? What does it do again? It goes to, through the biosphere, how? You're basically using the reproductive drive of these animals. In no, that's what to... we're doing. No, that's right. what oh, doing. that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. How thing. does the gene drive work? Yeah. In so, this case of mosquitoes, how yeah. would you eradicate them? So, so, so gene drive could literally wipe out every mosquito. Which, which sounds good but to those how? of us that hate mosquitoes, but in reality, you don't really want to extinct the species Correct. like that. Because then you're That's talking about I think we need to say spoilers, because this is clearly the plot of the next Ant-Man movie. Like, this is clearly... <laughs> and there's something the more worrisome about that. All right, even if you could get comfortable with wiping out the, all the mosquito clades, which I could not ever do, right? Even if you could do that, here's what you don't know. Remember, there are 8.7 million eukaryotic species on this planet, many, many times that among the prokaryotes. How could you ever know that that gene program would not impact any of them as well? Right? Yeah. We haven't sequenced every organism on this planet. So the point is, the possibility of um, that you would be releasing something into the environment you would never be able to retrieve, you'd never be able to stop, yeah. and you'd never be able to predict what it might do. Kind of like it's humans. It's not something yeah. that we would ever want. Okay, to so you're making me feel more comfortable. And I'm prepared to say that I, it sounds to me like you've got a very responsible approach. If you were Definitely. the person on Earth completely in charge of this, I'm starting to think, let's let him do it. He's going to do good stuff, not a danger. But what about bad actors? You know, for a second, imagine Dr. Evil, you know, petting his cat. What if Dr. Evil has this technology? You know, what's, what keeps you up at night? What's, what, what could somebody without your values do with this power? Yeah, like I said, all technologies introduce the power of harm. Uh, there's a YouTube bit I would recommend. It's from about 19, I don't know, 80 or so. Is Steve Jobs on, have you seen this? On Nightline. So Ted Koppel is interviewing a young Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs is saying, oh, I think everybody in the world should have a computer, right? Well, of course, the world was phobic about that. Ted Koppel had some academic on there who was saying, making every point that you guys have made. First of all, gee, this is very dangerous. The government's really going to have to regulate this really heavily because if people have this information, who knows what kind of mischief will ensue. Furthermore, only rich people will have them, and therefore, this is going to be bad. You know, and, and was, so people were very phobic about computers. My point is, if you become worried about computer viruses and, and say, therefore, we should all throw away all of our computers and smartphones, that's probably an overreaction. So with regard to every technology, what we have to do is good science-based regulation. We're in favor of that. We've covered that topic. But I think beyond that, the people who are advancing the technology need to be responsible and 
they need to manage their assets correctly. They need to manage the technology correctly. I'll give you an example from a field that has nothing to do with biotechnology. It's been so interesting to me to watch how Facebook has adapted over the last few years, right? Yep. So pro problem after problem would come up in social media and Facebook's initial response was, no, that's not our problem. And then, right, their user base would say, yeah, it's your problem, right? And the most recent one is, you know, just it just happened within the last few days, is uh, if the Russians want to buy advertising on Facebook, I don't know how we would ever monitor that. We, and now there's, oh, okay, we, we'll, we'll definitely. And they did this with fake news initially on fake news. Fake news is not our problem. Within about, I don't know, 60 or 90 days of that topic being socialized worldwide, suddenly they decided, yeah, it is our problem. So my point is, society is going to make the people who who are advancing these technologies, exercise them responsibly. That said, are there, is there a possibility that a genuine bad actor could do something bad? Yes. Definitely. Just like the people who make our computer viruses do not intend good, they intend evil. Definitely happens. Just so happens that also as happens in the computer virus context, right? Antiviral software versus virus, it's a game of that goes back and yeah. forth, right? So be an awesome person in biotech and propel awesome things and the world will slowly do that over time. So, and a quick question because we're about to end the segment. Can you just explain, because I didn't fully grasp the idea, I want to see gene drive. How would that just go through the biosphere and make a change? Yeah, so I have to take you through the code, but the bottom line is every time that this particular code would line up with an appropriate window, it would tear through that genome. Okay? okay? And so that's Any my point. Anytime, anywhere yes. in the biosphere, it would yes. line up, it wouldn't, it wouldn't enable it to happen. Potentially so, but, yes. Okay. Okay, so, but how does that, 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 then one would need to have the entire biosphere programmed. At least sequenced, so you know sequence. what codes are unique to, yeah. yeah but that, exactly. that takes like the power of a star pretty much to do that. I mean, it's a lot of energy. That will be quite a while before we can okay, do that. Okay, cool. So gene drive is still a little, okay. All yeah. right. All right, so, uh, but the, take, the takeaway here is that an engaged citizenry can help guide this technology in the right way. So we're yes. glad you guys are here with us listening um, and, and engage with us. Uh, so now we're going to take another short break and we'll be back in a few minutes with some more Star Talk All-Stars. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Star Talk All-Stars. We're coming to you live from World's Fair Nano in Brooklyn, New York. I'm David Grinspoon, a.k.a. Dr. Funky Spoon. I'm your all-star host. My co-host here is comedian Harrison Greenbaum. And we've got two other special guests, science communicator Alan Sakyan. Woo! And the CEO of Intrexon, R.J. Kerr. Woo! We're talking about the perils and the promises of biotechnology. Uh, let's talk more about uh, just really what we're doing here, uh, th this momentous change on the planet. Some people worry that we're uh, maybe playing God a little bit. Uh, it's hard to deny that we have new powers than we've had before. On the other hand, uh, 
there's so many problems in this world that we can potentially address with this kind of technology. We've heard about feeding people in new ways, uh, fending off disease, and so forth. So um, let's talk about the future. Um, where do you see where do you see this technology going in the future? I mean, what, what's your what's your vision for how this may play out if you're able to do what you want to do with it? Gene drives. <laughs> no, not gene drives. We don't need gene drives. What does your future look like then? I think this is the greatest thing that has occurred in the history of this planet ever. I think we wow. actually are living in the most poignant moment in the history of the world. Look, the bottom line, quick history of the world. I know you know this. You know this better than I do. The Earth is about 4.6 billion years old. About half that time ago, the biosphere began. So all of those organisms I referred to that are running on DNA, they started proliferating. Now the number of those organisms probably exceeds the number of stars in the universe. So this is the first generation of man who actually knows what this planet is. DNA is memory. That means everything that occurs on that substrate is computation, including the conversation we're having right now, David, which means we are the first people ever to truly appreciate what this planet is. It is a whopping big supercomputer. That's what it is. That right? mostly turns out reality shows and Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the bottom line is, in terms of answering the fundamental question of what are we here for? What is man's purpose? What is his destiny? How is he different from finally. the other monkeys? Well, let me give my answer first, okay, then we'll okay, hear yours. Here right? We are chiefly different in the following respect. Of those 8.7 million eukaryotic species, we're the only one that has been, for the last 12,000 years, systematically engineering the others. So what this really inspires me to answer the question directly is that, and wh why do I think this is the most poignant generation in the history of, in the history of the world? Is because we finally know why we're here. Why? We are Earth's tech support. We are the tech support for this planet. <laughs> so, oh wait, so, oh wait, so what does that mean? What so what does that mean? So we've been screwing around, screwing around with it for 12,000 years, but the, yeah. the point, the reason it's tech support. The reason, it, well, you are, okay, and well, I am tell, too. Well, we're IT guys? We're IT guys. <laughs> we are tech support. What, 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 the Earth needs human support? It absolutely does. When you really track okay, the get numbers. To the next rocks and the next stars. Yeah, but then or, that look, means the next thing is they're going to say, how do we fix it? And we're like, hit the reset button. Yeah. Look, what, we, have been, we have been altering it for 12,000 years, as I mentioned, but if you look at it, it's been case after case after case on an isolated basis. Uh, you know, we need to get rid of the mosquitoes that spread malaria in, in the U.S. and Europe. I know. Here's this chemical called DDT, so let's just drop it out of airplanes for a couple of decades and do massive environmental damage, right? Well, they didn't know about the massive environmental damage until it was too late, but my point is, okay. we have, they succeeded in wiping out, right, the mosquito that spreads malaria in U.S. and Europe but they were just looking at the isolated thing. So here's the real potential today. We have an opportunity to really look at this thing holistically, but to do that, we're gonna to have to accept the responsibility for being tech support for this planet. We are this planet's tech support. And if we are good tech support, look, if you called your IT tech support guy and he fixed your like monitor, but suddenly your keyboard doesn't work, he's an idiot and you're gonna fire him, right? So. You, you want somebody who's really looking at it holistically, who's going to make the whole system we work better. You cancer, but now you're blind. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, your DDT example is an interesting one. It's a good one, but it's also an example of unintended consequence, right? So, uh, which is just to say we have to 
proceed with caution. But let's let's take this. Let's assume we we do things right. Let's take this. You know, let's tell. Give us some like. Are, are we talking about eradicating all disease? Or are we talking about changing the eye colors of your babies before they're? Yeah. Wait. You mean to tell me we have the technology to change the eye color of the baby, but they're still using old iPads? <laughs> Is that the future we're looking at? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're, they're Seemingly so. Sadly I so. It's terrible. I like the tech. I don't know if I love that the iPad hasn't changed its design in 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, are we talking? Are, yeah, are we talking designer babies? Are we talking eradicating all disease? Where, where, where's this going? So, there's, there, to my knowledge, there is no, um, there is no medical health products regulator in the world who would approve that for marketing. So I, the short answer is, if you measure it against the current regulatory scheme that already exists, the answer to that is no. Uh, but you mentioned you're an Ashkenazi Jew, so you know we actually discovered the BRCA1, BRCA2 right. Right, mutations in female Ashkenazi Jews first. And it's because they have such a high preponderance for these mutations, which means they are at peculiar risk for breast cancer, which means their female offspring are also at peculiar risk for breast cancer. So let's, before you get to designer babies, let's ask, the, let's ask the, a more meaningful question. Don't you think it would be a good idea, since we actually do have the technology today, to edit those genes appropriately? I refuse to believe as a matter of ethics that mothers should be required, right, to give their daughters genes that are almost certainly going to give their daughters cancer that's later a, That's in life. a very compelling yeah, example, and it's hard to imagine anybody would disagree with that. But is there a slippery slope from getting rid of desirable traits to, well, maybe it's desirable that my kid isn't as athletic as I would like it to be? Yep. Is there a boundary there that you can draw? Is there a world where you're like, oh my god, your baby is so last year? <laughs> Blue eyes, really? <laughs> That's so 2033. Now it's cat eyes. <laughs> Your dumb blue-eyed baby. <laughs> as long as those people don't exist, I'm all for it. Yeah, this probably will happen. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because the very fact that we can formulate the question means that we are going to be part of the political body and our ancestors, I mean our, our uh, offspring, will be part of the political body that will make these decisions. Um, it's going to happen on a contemporary basis in the society that exists at that time. For the foreseeable future, it'll be great if we can get rid of these BRCA1, BRCA2 uh, uh, mutations. And, and uh, you know, it's the cystic fibrosis and the, um, uh, well, there are many others. Multiple There are actually 7,600. Back to your question, uh, Dr. Funky Spoon. Uh, Will we eliminate human disease? We're a long way from that. So we catalog currently around 7,600 monogenic diseases alone. Can I, can I touch on your quick point about uh, your, so you, Earth's tech support? Maybe elaborate a little bit more for me to see if I get, so get sold So I, I was actually heartened to read, <clears throat> I'm sure many of you noticed over the last couple of days, Cassini was programmed to burn up on re-entry, on entering, not re-entry, on entering, uh, what, what they refer to as an atmosphere on Saturn, right? And, and that was always the intention of its NASA designers. 
So right now, we are taking, and you know, you're an expert in this field, so I apologize for, as we hillbillies would say, preaching to the choir, but isn't it the case that we've taken a completely hands-off approach, a completely uh, prohibitionist approach, and that we know that yeah, we well, don't we, want to screw around with any other have, planets? Uh, we have planetary protection protocols. Yes. Right. You're not allowed to accidentally, or we have to take measures to, acci uh, to prevent accidentally infecting another planet. That's Although right. Although it's interesting with Cassini, it was Unless not... Unless they asked for it. I've seen Independence Day. That's right. So, so, it's interesting yeah, with Cassini, it wasn't, it wasn't always part of the plan. But when we discovered that Enceladus they made it part of the potentially plan. Potentially habitable planet. Yeah. Then the decision was made. We got to crash this thing to make sure we don't contaminate. That's itself. brilliant. That's brilliant. And so that's the, the real answer to Alan's question, which is: right now we know that we are too dangerous to be screwing around with the biospheres of any other planets. So I'll go back to the tech support thing. Why don't we see if we can do a good job on this one first? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Can I ask a serious question? Yeah. Because I've noticed. I'm on Facebook a lot, and anytime somebody posts something where they're like anti-GMO, I always get in there and I cite science and facts, and I'll tell you, I have a success rate of 0% in persuading people. So somebody who's at the forefront of that. My, my percentage is a little okay. higher. Okay, yeah, well, that's I mean, what I'm trying to learn. How do we convince people, because the science and facts are in your favor. Um, GMO yeah, yeah. is a nonsense term. Because um, it applies to basically anything we've ever yeah, eaten yeah, yeah. in some way genetically modified. Look, how do you, how do you fight the, the, that? Really, there are two ways. You don't have to fight back. You, the first thing is to be a little bit more broad-minded. It would be so easy you know, to, be, to become a curmudgeon, right? For any <laughs> of us, right? It, anything that you know a lot about, others don't know as much about it as you do. You could just say, oh, they're idiots. I'm never going to get it. You know, whatever. <laughs> that, that's just the wrong... <laughs> you know, that's just uh, the wrong... Board, he's <laughs> it's, it's just not constructive, okay? So, like I said, we, we can afford to be charitable. We can afford to be civil in this society. Again, yeah. Tim Kaine was up here. I thought yeah. he did a great job a few minutes ago Definitely. talking about uh, the obligations of a civil society. And, and within a civil society, we should recognize that it's natural for people to be technophobic. We were, tech, we were phobic about per smartphones, we were phobic about cell phones. We were phobic about computers. And by the way, I can prove that we were phobic about fire. Do you know how I know this? It's because in every pantheon of gods, the firebringer is derided by his peers as a troublemaker, as yeah. a mischief maker by virtue of that fact. So that means, that means we know that Ugwag was sitting around the you know, in the primordial horde where the, one of the first fires was going and he was like, fire bad, fire bad, no fire, no fire. <laughs> never fire, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, no and, computers. And, 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 yeah. and here's yeah, the thing, yeah. be charitable. Yeah. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Yeah. Fire's dangerous. Yeah. So, so the first thing is, don't be a curmudgeon. So the second, so <laughs> then you can think about, all right, look, the history of man is really the history of his technology. So how does technology get adapted, adopted? Right? Uh, I mentioned the smartphone. The smartphone is the most rapidly adopted technology in the history of the world. Right? It took, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, 50, 60 years for the television, for most people to have a television, and it took like, you know, two and a half weeks for everybody to have an iPhone or something. It's crazy. You made a really uh, a good point earlier that, that, that the engaged citizenry keeps us honest. And so a course, certain yeah. amount of opposition is actually good. It means we're going to be careful in the way we do things. Yeah. And it means they're going yeah. to be asking we, questions that it is obligatory on us to answer. Yeah. So we're going to have to wrap up here, but I want to ask you one last thing briefly. Are you optimistic about the future? 
and then I want to ask each of you to give us a quick uh, parting thought. Parting thought for me is hugely optimistic about the future, um, understanding uh, how to harmoniously progress together as a single cohesive organism, uh, have some Earth tech support along the way, beautiful stuff. Uh, can we get a hip hip hooray for world peace? Hip hip hooray! hooray! <laughs> and then uh, colonize uh, the other planets in our solar system and other stars and other, I, I care a lot about that. I'm quirky and shit. So. All right. I'm, I'm all for that. All right. Cool. <laughs> Although I agree, I agree that we got to get our act together here before we can agree. really do too much well, I was just reading an article about the people who want to go to Mars, because right now it's one way, and there was one of the girls she was quoted as saying, I am so excited and my boyfriend is so supportive. <laughs> and I was like, funny. he's breaking up with you. <laughs> That's it's like the way. cleanest breakup in human history. Yeah, yeah. You got a parting thought? Yeah, I do. So, as I mentioned, you know, and I think I refer to it as an industrial vector, but, you know, that, that's just the way business people talk, and so and economists. So, I'd really like to phrase it another way. When you consider what is before us as challenges on this planet today, look, we have to produce twice as much food by 2050. Yeah. We have to do it on fewer acres with less water and a better environmental footprint. We have a lot of environmental issues. Yeah. We have a lot of issues with our world economies. The world peace that you want, let me give you the best answer for world, the best uh, variable, independent variable that could help improve the situation for world peace. Better world economies, right? Better jobs for yeah. people. That's good. Yeah. So, and that's what I mean by industrial vector. Maybe that sounds too, you know, economic or geeky or something. What I'm really saying is, I think that society is going to unite behind this technology. And I think that the future is going to be very, very much uh, improved um, across the board. And I, I, I'm just tremendously excited by the potential. Thank you. Nice. What's your final thought, Harrison? Uh, my final thought is I just feel like I think these kind of conversations are really important in, order, in terms of getting pro-science facts out there. Like, I always find it ironic that people take their smartphone to write things that are anti-vaccine or anti-GMO, and they're using the very technology that science got them. Like, the same science that gave them the smartphone is the same science that we're using <laughs> now to create vaccines and, and, and do all this kind of really amazing genetic research. So I think that's, if, if all of us can be a force for that sort of science positivity, that's where we start to get towards the adoption, at least all these fun outcomes. Nice. Science positivity. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag nerd. Awesome. Yeah. So my parting thought is that this is an extraordinary time, not just for our species, but in fact, in the history of the planet. That, uh, as RJ said, uh, the planet started four and a half billion years ago. Life has been evolving most of that time. Uh, and only right now is there a species that has figured out enough to, to some degree, take of that evolutionary process. And here's this species that is actively and somewhat consciously changing the planet, changing the very nature of evolution itself. It's a moment fraught with potential and fraught with peril, and uh, the way we make use of it is up to us. And with that, I'd like to thank you very much. You've been listening to Star Talk All Stars. Thank you to all our guests. <laughs>